Welcome to the Content Strategy Experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. Since 1997, Scriptorium has helped companies manage, structure, organize, and distribute content in an efficient way. In episode 21 of this podcast, we wonder, is Google Translate good enough? Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah O'Keefe. I am hosting this episode, and I am here to talk with Bill Swallow. Hey, Bill. Hello. So, Bill, is Google Translate good enough? The normal canned answer would be it depends, and it really comes down to what we're going to, you know, what we're really talking about here. Is it the Google Web Form? Is it, or is it the API? And really, we're starting to talk about the latter. Years ago, when Google just had Translate up as a single web form, uh, it was pretty abysmal. Uh, They were still using a very old model for machine translation, you know, lots of uh, specific one-to-one matching going on there. So the translations came out almost laughable. But now, especially as Google has adopted uh, neural processing, um, which is basically AI or machine learning, um, the results are starting to improve dramatically. Uh, But again, I'll fall back to uh, my rote answer of it depends because there are some some major um, things that you need to be aware of when you're translating content, especially with machine translation. Okay, so when we say, you know, Google Translate, what we're really saying is uh, machine translation uh, or maybe on-demand machine translation, particularly the kind of stuff that we're seeing from Google Translate and particularly the engines that are based on neural technology, which is sort of the latest and greatest thing as opposed to the statistical or phrase-based machine translation that was the standard until pretty recently, right? Google still uses the statistical model for a lot of the languages, but they have about seven or eight that are now in the neural model. So uh, a lot of that is uh, most of your romance languages, and uh, I believe Chinese is in there. Um, But the model, it, it really varies as to what you're going to get based on which Google service you're using. So for example, a lot of them are available on the web form, but you're kind of limited to whatever you can copy and paste into that form. Uh, there is a uh, an API that allows you to basically do on-the-fly website um, translation, and there's also another API where you can feed content behind the scenes for, say, you know, larger publications, so books or uh, a large online help system or what have you. Okay, so let's assume that you've done your research and you've figured out that you're using the latest and greatest engine, and it is neural, and the language pair that you're dealing with, um, you know, is in that what you're describing as providing, you know, better quality results. What are some of the factors that you need to look at when you're deciding whether or not a machine translation, Google Translate approach is good enough or not? So there are mainly three main factors when producing content for machine translation. One of them is audience, another one is subject matter, and the third is content quality. Okay, so let's let's look at each of those. Um, let's talk about audience. What kinds of audiences would you look at and decide are machine translation appropriate and what kinds of audiences are not? So the best audience for machine translation are those who, and I'm going to use a jargony keyword, but, um, 
people who need gisting. So they just need to get the general idea of what it is you're you're trying to convey. And sometimes the audience will be okay with gisting, and sometimes they won't. So there's also a cultural factor that comes into play. And um, third, it, it really does depend on what types of information they are consuming. So a generic web user looking for information about a product or service probably won't care that the translation isn't 100%. Um, so that would be fine. Uh, but someone, so this- who, yeah, someone who is looking for uh, very specific information or is trying to uh, complete a task or, or something where they need very specific information, um, or if it's very targeted information that uh, speaks to them personally, like a lot of marketing material, they may not look upon machine translation well, and they'll be able to tell that it's been machine translated, not done by a human. Right. So, I mean, a couple of examples of this that I use are if I'm reading uh, a news article and I stumble upon, you know, a Norwegian newspaper that happens to have an article in Norwegian on a topic that I'm interested in, I will happily and gratefully settle for the machine translated version, which will give me the general idea and some comprehension of the article. I don't expect a Norwegian newspaper to translate you know, to do high quality professional translation for me because I'm not their target audience. Right. Right. I'm just trying to get to some information that I happen to be interested in because I care about, uh, you know, reindeer or whatever. Um, and then the other example I've seen is a, is an interesting one where uh, you might machine translate a summary or an abstract of a longer document so that I, as the professional, can read that abstract um, for example, of a patent and say, oh, I need to know more about this patent that's in Japan so that I can really understand what that patent is all about. But I'll take a machine translation of the abstract or the summary and then decide whether I'm going to go ask for a professional translation of that entire patent document. Well, that second uh, scenario actually um... You can give give or take there, and it really comes down to, um, I guess, the, the second aspect of uh, of content, which is the subject matter. Mm-hmm. So if your abstract is highly technical, then I would caution against using machine translation just to get that across, because I've seen many cases where the terms are translated into something that is kind of right, but not exactly correct. And... If you're particularly looking at medical translation, um, there are a lot of very similar terms that mean very different things in the greater context of the medical field. So getting that term wrong could potentially throw people off or or lead to a wrong either diagnosis or uh, the wrong research. Right. But if, for example, as a medical professional, I'm doing some just some research, continuing education, I might read that machine translated abstract and decide, oh, this is in my area of expertise or this is something I'm interested in. Now let me go get it translated properly so that I can really understand what's going on. But I wouldn't be terribly upset if then the professional translation came back and I discovered that, oh, this wasn't what I thought it was you know, move on to the next one. But so in terms of subject matter, um, what you, I think what you're saying is that some subject matter lends itself or is less risky in machine translation and some subject matter is more risky. 
Exactly. I mean, the more general the topic, the easier it is to write about it, the easier it is to get that translated because you're not using heavily technical terms. You're not using industry jargon. You're not using corporate jargon. Um, but once you start injecting those things and get down into very specific terminology, uh, the machine translation may or may not have or may not know uh, what the correct term might be. And it might pull something very similar or it might try doing a literal translation of a very specific term and get results that are, well, laughable coming out, if not offensive. Right. Now, what about what about the, the risk side of things, you know, when you get into information that's related to health and safety? Well, the risk there is uh, you could possibly be giving a medical professional the wrong information. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of especially around um, in the, in, in the field of cardiology, for example, there are many, many similar terms, similar sounding terms. They all have the same Latin roots, for example, um, but they all mean something or refer to something completely different. Um, and getting those wrong uh, without at least a, a check after the translation has been done by, by your machine translation, uh, it, it could literally be a life or death situation. So information that people are using to make life or death decisions, or for that matter, information that if used incorrectly leads to things like electric shock or worse, you know, if you don't plug things in correctly, yeah. the result might be unpleasant. It, yeah, unpleasant to, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> something Let's go worse. with unpleasant. <laughs> Um, okay, so that so so in terms of subject matter, you know, machine translating a game, uh, you know, might not be as big a deal because if you get it wrong, well, your character dies. But too bad. True, although but not in, a, you. in a true, but in a game, you also have a lot of custom terminology, a lot of that which is made up um, specifically for the game, and making sure that those are translated into something understandable, uh, kind of matters. I mean. Even little things like, um, you know, currency or um, things like I don't know items that you might pick up along the way in the game. If they're if they're translated poorly, people are going to notice that. Now they may be a little bit more forgiving because they're primarily interested in the game and they can kind of figure it out as they go. But when you sit down and read some of the you know the hastily translated uh, video game literature, it's it's almost laughable. Well, and that really, you know, that really takes us to your third point, right? Because content quality requirements. So what kinds of audiences require very high quality and what kinds of audiences are, as you said, more forgiving? Um, well, definitely the more professional the audience, uh, the more they want to make sure that, you know, they're getting something of quality. Uh, likewise, anything that's that's being marketed toward people generally um you want to have the idea that you know the, the product is speaking to you or the company is speaking to you and not just uh, hoping that you understand what they're talking about. Um, but also on the flip side, you know, if you're a company trying to go into many different markets, you want to make sure that you're being understood correctly and you want to make sure that you know, your, your information is correct if it absolutely needs to be correct. And you can't rely on um, dodgy translation to make or break your entry into a market. Is there is there a distinction that you make between sort of B2B business products, you know, something that people buy and use at work versus something that people, I mean, we've talked about games and, 
you know, my feeling on a game is if it's if the translation is bad or if the text in game is distracting because it's badly translated, I might just give up on the game and go it do could, something else. You could, or it could become one of the first internet memes of all time. <laughs> <laughs> all your base are belong to us. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, there's a there's a quality of experience there, and if that is something that matters to either the audience or the company producing it, then absolutely you need to be mindful of your content quality and, and things that as a company you need to, to start doing is, is managing your terminology. Well, um, making sure that the correct term is being used all the time in the correct context. Um, and being able to supply correct translations, um, for those. And part of that, if you're, if you're using a, a, a general translation service, so, you know, you're working with people, uh, you generally supply them with, uh, some kind of a translation glossary, uh, where they have the terms, they have the, the, the approved translations of the terms and, uh, contextual def definitions and so forth. So they understand what they need to translate things as, as they go. But a machine doesn't have the luxury of referencing something like that. So you need to um, essentially, you know, we, we call corpus. So, you know, it's, it's a large body of information that feeds the, uh, the, the, trend, the machine learning engine. So you need to make sure that you're including all this information in your corpus for that machine to basically chug through and learn what these terms mean. So that means your terminology has to be correct. It has to be used correctly in context. It has to repeat over and over again in, in various contexts if it's slightly different or if you know a slightly different treatment applies. And then you still need to hope and train this machine over time. You need to train it and hope that it gets it right eventually. So we've talked a lot about, about medical content and some of the special challenges that might present due to health and safety issues. Uh, we haven't touched on regulation, but I think probably the fact that it's usually regulated content is, is also an issue. So that one seems kind of high on the list of things not so great for machine translation. Do you, what are some of the industries or areas where you think machine translation will get a stronger foothold, you know, where the risks aren't as great, people are more accepting? What does, what does that look like? What kind of industries do you think that would be? Um, definitely consumer products outside of marketing pitches. So looking at information, particularly around specifications for products and so forth, um, schematics, uh, background information, um, certainly any kind of social, uh, content that's tied to it supplied by readers. So user comments and so forth. Um, those are fairly safe to, to machine translate either yourself or um, either as as a reader doing it on you know, on your own using a web form or whatnot, or supplying some kind of a, a general gisting for people uh, so that they can kind of follow along what other people are saying about your product, um, and generally you know content that's <laughs> I hate to say it, but you know content that's not going to uh, cause a big problem. You know, it, it's not going to cause, you know, someone to get injured or killed. Uh, it's not going to, you know, create some kind of offensive situation. Um, cause and, your power grid to go down. Power grid to go down, cause, you know, your, <laughs> if you're talking about uh, government 
content. I mean, certainly, you know, making sure you're not upsetting the people you're trying to engage, um, you know, things like that. Oh, so that's an interesting point because we, we touched on audience, but we didn't really talk about, um, um, sort of the emotional connection. I mean, is it fair to say that when you machine translate, the result you get is not going to really connect with your audience? That that's one of the things you're giving up? Yes and no. <laughs> we go yeah. back to depends. It depends. Um, right. I mean, the, the languages that are being folded into um, neural machine translation, they're becoming more human as far as the translations go. And you can you know, those connections are starting to be made. Now, are they being made 100%? Probably not. But generally, yes. I mean, if you're really trying to connect to someone on some kind of a um, emotional level or, or whatnot, so, I mean, marketing content is, is a perfect example of that. You're trying to appeal to someone's um, emotions, someone's um, likes, dislikes, and so forth, uh, their appeal, and getting that wrong can turn them completely off. So in that case, it's critical to get that right. And it's not to say that machine translation isn't a way to get you there, but you would probably have to build in a lot of proofreading and editing after the fact. So you talked in a, actually a recent article, you created this hierarchy of localization needs and talked about how there's this concept of minimum viable localization, you know, getting to the point where you have something that is at least good enough. Right. Um, and I, I already know that the answer is it depends, but <laughs> but can you get there? Can you get to a minimum viable localization with machine, machine translation? Minimum viable, yes, because that just assumes that the content is available, so it's out there, that it's it's accurate, uh, which you can get to in some languages, and that it's generally appropriate. So if your subject matter lends itself to uh, being easy to translate, you can get there with the first those first three tiers of um, the hierarchy. But the last two are really hard to get to without some kind of a human touch. And we're talking about tailored content and content that feels organic. You know that it that it's being produced by you know someone by by an actual person for you specifically, and it's really hard to get to that point. Um, I mean, it's hard to get to that point writing it from scratch anyway, and to have a machine be able to infer what you mean in one language and convey that in another. I don't think we're quite there yet. Okay, so if somebody's thinking about kind of adding a machine translation component into their localization strategy what are sort of your you know your parting words of advice on that i would say definitely take a look at uh, the types of content you have in play and take a look at who's consuming it and how it's being consumed and make some make some decisions right there as far as what will be machine translated 100 percent, what will be machine translated and cleaned up afterwards and what absolutely should not go through machine translation. Um, I can't get more specific than that because everyone's case is going to be a little bit different. But having those three buckets that you are filing your, your essentially your content or your, your, your information architecture into to figure out what's going where, you know, and, and what's safe to translate 
using a machine, what's not safe to translate. And I think that makes sense. Okay, so I think we'll leave it there. Um, a couple of couple of notes to wrap up. Uh, don't forget about Learning Data Live. That's our free online conference happening in late February and early March. We're going to have four days of sessions for beginner through advanced Ditto users. That does include a session from Bill on localization issues in Ditto. So if you're a Ditto user and you're concerned about localization, that would definitely be one to sign up for. Again, it's free. You can find all the details at learningdita.com, and I hope we will see you there. Thank you for listening to the Content Strategy Experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. For more information, please visit scriptorium.com or check the show notes for relevant links.